My name is Jenny Bowden, and I believe that having the life of your dreams starts with doing things every single day that you're probably not very good at yet. I hope you come to this podcast daring to dream, daring to light your heart on fire, but also realizing that the end results of your efforts right now might be pitiful, might be so much less than you imagined they would be, and that that is okay. That is just the way it should be. Okay, we're back, and I have had some amazing people on this podcast before, like seriously amazing, Um, but today I have the most awesome person on the planet here to talk with you. I can say that sincerely because I'm married to him. His name is Hans, and he's great. One of the things about Hans is that he um, he's a social studies teacher. I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit more, but um, he really, because of what he studies every day and just because of the person that he is, he really um, dives into things and doesn't just take life as we understand it for granted in that sense. And so I think you're really going to enjoy um, listening to him today. Do you want to tell us a bit more about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> I'm Hans, and I'm married to Jen, and she has been bugging me for months to be on her podcast, and I've always been a little apprehensive because sometimes, you know, you hate the sound of your own voice. So, um, yeah, but I'm excited to be here, and uh, she's asked if you know I could talk a little bit about um, some of the ideas that I'm quite passionate about, passionate about, um, especially related to the idea of like globalization. He's really hesitant, especially once we busted out the iPhone five and started recording on the speakerphone of it. But yeah, still. I feel I feel like if you're going to keep doing this podcast, then maybe you need some better technology. Probably a good point. But today we want to talk about what we kind of both sat down and considered the most effective way uh, an individual could really change the world. That might seem like a bold statement, but the cool thing about what we're going to talk about today is that it doesn't require you to sell everything you have, jump on a plane and go, um, I don't know, build schools in third world countries or something like that. You can do it right here, right now in super simple little ways and just keep kind of building on it. And we're going to discuss how that works. Do you want to, do you want to tell us what, it, what is this topic that will change the world? Uh, well, uh, yeah, changing the world is like, I think, what everybody wants to do or maybe, I don't know, feels like overwhelmed about even thinking about, but what is it we're changing, I guess. And uh, I think that living in Canada, um, it it's hard for us to see the the issues that surround us because we only really seem to benefit from um, like the products of globalization and, and, and post colonial like post colonial era. So we it's really hard for us to like understand the complexity of things that might be going on outside of ourselves, and we don't really question it because our lives here are really good. Right. Right. So the the topic it relates to this the idea of consumerism and consumer culture. Okay, so what does that mean when we talk about consumerism? It's basically just things that you buy, right? Yeah, um it's things that you buy, but we 
have come to associate buying things with and, and owning things and possessing things as a, um, like a, a means of finding self-satisfaction in life. Right. And um, a lot of people find their own, like their values or their identity in the things that they purchase. Oh yeah. You'll have people even like on their Instagram, um, yeah. whatever, like shopaholic as one of their defining qualities. Right. Or right? that the new clothing that they buy or the new car that they drive or the new home that they decorate, um, is where they find who they are. And it's often interesting. Um, the, the irony behind that, because often these, you know, people that are consume on a daily basis don't really understand the identities of those that may be down further down on the supply chain management or supply chain. Right. And how their identities may be impacted or affected by our consumer culture in Canada. Okay. So basically today we're going to be talking about how n being more deliberate basically about the things that you buy, the things that you purchase can change the world around you um, in enormous ways, especially because once you start doing it, your friends are going to catch on and it's going to make big ripples. Right. Well, it, like I always think of, <clears throat> like, I don't, I don't want you to get you to get me wrong and think I'm some radical anti-capitalist, uh, you know, individual that's talking to you, but I, I really sh see the value in capitalism, uh, and the value in, in things like free trade. But, uh, I think it's also important that we, we know what we buy, just like I think we should also you know, know what we eat and where things come from and, and that sort of thing so that it allows us to be informed consumers. Um, yeah. and that, and that's really what I, I want to get to. And that's what I want to talk about. And it's really important to know right off the bat that Hans and I are not perfect at this, but and like we don't, everything we buy isn't awesome yet, I guess, or like the right. way that we live our lives. Isn't I don't think we're professing that, but I, I think that, um, I have four strategies that I am trying to implement in my life to make a difference in any way that I can to be a more responsible consumer. And, um, it, it like it brings me to this story. Uh, is it okay? If I, yeah. Uh, that I, I once heard as a, like a, a little, a little boy and I've, I don't know, I've always thought about it and I've always really thought about like the impact or the power of one person. And it, it's, it's kind of a silly story, but I thought, I've always thought it was important. But it's about this man who was essentially walking down this beach and um, and he noticed on the beach that there were lots of starfish like all over the beach. Um, maybe you've heard the story. But he, um, as he's walking there, he sees all these starfish and he realizes the tide is all the way out. And these starfish in the hot sun are going to die, right? Because they've been sitting out for a long time. And he sees down the beach, he sees this man picking things up off the ground and throwing them out into the ocean. And so he approaches this guy and he's like, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm just, I'm picking up these starfish and I'm throwing them in the ocean. And the man says like, what do, you, what do you mean you're picking up starfish and throwing them in the ocean? Take a look around, man. Like there are, this beach is littered with starfish. I, I, you can't save them all. Like what, what difference are you making? Kind of mocked him. And with that kind of tone and 
the man reached down and picked up a starfish and he hurled it in the water and he, he looked at the other man and he said, well, I just made a difference to that one, right? And so it, 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 it's not necessary that my behavior or our behavior as a, a couple is intending to change the world, but that we're doing our part and encouraging others to do the same. So we don't, I don't want to come off as preachy. These are things that I believe in, I have come to value and I, you know, I hope I can impart some of that. Yeah, and things to... that we're still working on doing better at every day, right? right. Um, so I wanted to start off this conversation by talking about Gandhi because you see like those bags everywhere. They'll mm-hmm. say like a Gandhi quote, usually be the change you wish to see in the world yeah. is like his big one. And I think a lot of people know a decent amount about him to some extent, but I don't know if they know why he's so important to and influential to this concept of how you purchase things, the things that you go out and buy really affects the world around you. How does, how does Gandhi's take on that work? Yeah, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I had a, I had a student the other day and we were sitting in class and he all of a sudden put up his hand and interrupted and I had this large picture of Gandhi um, on the wall, weaving, weaving uh, cloth. Yeah. And he he put up his hand and he said, "Mr. Bowden, um, you know, you have the picture of Gandhi, and everybody seems to have this picture of Gandhi. Like, who cares about Gandhi? Like, what's what's he all about? Like, why right. is he on your wall?" And I had it was a teaching moment, so I had to to stop and you know I could go on for days about Gandhi, but. I think there are some very simple things that Gandhi helped us to understand about um, the world and the way in which one individual's behavior or choices can affect the lives of, of many others. Right. And so without going into the whole history of Gandhi's life, um, he had some very different ambitions as a young man than he did as an older man. Uh, he came from quite a wealthy family and he received an education in uh, at Oxford in in England as a lawyer and his desire in life was to become an in- English gentleman that's that's what he really wanted and um when he came home and saw the plight of his people and not as much his people but especially his people in South Africa um he he, got, he took a job in South Africa and saw his people working as indentured servants uh, for the British government in in South Africa, which is a, a British colony at the time. He saw the plight of his people and he saw the prejudice and the racism that his people were, were being, you know, uh, Subject. subjected to. Yeah. And he began to think about imperialism and colonization for the purpose of resource extraction um, on the backs of others. Yeah. And Which is a, a form of slavery, basically, right? Right. And he looked at the people that he loves, the family that he loved, the, the religion, the values he loved, and he saw that the British crown um, seemed to be getting a lot out of him and his people, but they really had nothing to add to their society. And so he began a... I don't know, a pilgrimage, a, a uh, how do you say it, a life Lifelong journey, pursuit, yeah. a pursuit of uh, being anti-colonial and 
um, helping his people recognize their their ability to have to I guess the importance of them gaining and maintaining their own self-determination their, okay. their ability to govern their own affairs and he's and his big thing and the thing that I love so much about Gandhi was that he he argued that every time Indian people would purchase um, British made goods they were essentially enslaving themselves Okay. And, and he really helped his people understand the idea of supply chain. So when, um, you, like you think about, you think about India, they had a very strong, for example, a very strong cotton industry. Right. They were amazing in uh, cotton production and textile um, production. Okay. And when the British came in, they saw the value of the cotton and the value of the textile industry. And they saw that the means by which it was being produced in India was inefficient and so they looked to India as an opportunity to gain um, like raw material, like, cotton, like raw cotton. Yeah. They would ship it back to England and they would supply the factories in the Industrial Revolution. And those factories could produce cotton at a very cheap and efficient rate. And then they would resell that same cotton that was now woven into a, 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 pro a product, like actual fabric, back to the people in India. And India had a huge population. So they essentially took the resource from India, brought it home, right, put more value in it, and then resold it to the very people that they had, they had essentially taken the raw material from. Right. So every time Indian people bought British cotton, essentially what they were doing was buying themselves out of that industry. And their cotton, in, uh, their tech, cotton and textile industry completely collapsed and fell 100% into British hands. And the same thing happened with salt and the same thing happened with many other Indian goods. Yeah, and, these raw materials. Right, basically. and today, like, and, and today, and, and that's, and it's, I always was fascinated, I've always been fascinated how a tiny little island, right, Britain and uh, Great Britain, right, and, they're, and they're, it became this great powerful empire. Well, it was because they were so efficient at, at taking raw materials, reproducing it, and, and forcing it back on their colonies. Right. And so Gandhi had had enough of this. And he said, if, if, if my people want to move away from this colonial, the colonial chains that we're bound by, if we want our freedom back, it, it's, it's all in the consumer. Right. And so he did a number of things that were really profound. One of them being he, he began to weave his own cotton into fabric. And he would wear the clothes that he had made. And he, he devoted himself to this every day. Yeah, and I looked I looked this up. It's like this little, it's not very big. It's not as big as a spinning wheel. He kind of, I think he manufactured it himself or I, I don't remember. But he want, his goal was that every person could kind of store this object right. in their homes and that they would have the capability of weaving their own cotton. Right, and... So that's one one really good example. The other one was the Salt March, where he took a number of followers to the sea, which was quite a great distance. He walked there, and they he picked up salt from the beaches on the coast of of, uh, of India, and that was an illegal practice, right? Was to collect salt that was under the British Crown, um, because the British Crown um, under had created, it, this is called the Raj era, right? Had, had, they had direct control over the salt. Indian government 
over the Indian government and this direct control put a bunch of regulations on what could be consumed and how Indians could behave um, in order to maintain British monopolies. Right. And so he so when went, you say they were forcing these right. materials back on the people, they literally were forcing them. Yes, because the British crown had so much power. And a lot of that power was because they had rubbed shoulders with the high, high officials of India as well who were you know, on their bankrolls. And so his thing was this, is this idea of like not only boycotting and having self-reliance, but also um, his followers going to the, going to the sea and, and picking up salt was also a way of him openly defying and having this idea of like, you can't arrest us all, you can't kill us all. And so this is one of the early examples of, um, what's the word? Uh, one of the early examples of, I don't know. I uh, forget the word, but. But it was really cool. And it really matters because it, it just shows you that it, when you are focused on obtaining something in a way that makes sense, that's ethical, that isn't going to hurt anyone, that you can do it. Right. And that that was Gandhi. Like right. he just found. And I, meant, I was trying to say civil disobedience. Oh, it's an go. early example of civil disobedience, which we saw Him do many, many other and many others follow. Right. Right. This same sort of like Martin Luther King. Yeah, like it's the right thing to do, so I'm going to do it basically. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. So now, kind of moving back to ourselves as individuals. Um, what can we do? Like, that's Gandhi in India. Obviously, our situations mm. as North Americans are a little different. We don't necessarily consider ourselves enslaved. But there might be other people that maybe our choices might be enslaving to some extent. I think you could make that argument, and we don't have time to go into that in depth. But what are some things that we can do right now today to kind of make small changes in our lives? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and I'm going to preface this with this, this idea that I always think about when I buy, when I buy items, when I buy things, um, is my, my money is essentially like a vote. So when I purchase something, I'm essentially saying by me buying this, I agree with all the things that went into the production of this good. Okay. And so for me to say, I didn't know where this came from and, and it, like this idea of like deniability, I think is, is nonsensical. Yeah. I think that, option. I think that you are responsible as a consumer for everything that came prior to that. Because you're essentially guilty by association, right? If some of the things that went into that production are unethical. Um, so I like, love that. like I'll give you an example of this. I, when I was a, a young boy, when I was, was probably 12, I, I went downtown with some friends and my friends, we went into 7-Eleven and one of my friends had stolen a bag of licorice and uh, we came out and I knew that he didn't have any money and he was eating this licorice. And he looked at me and said, hey, Hans, uh, would you like some licorice? Hmm. And I said, well, where did you get the licorice? And he's like, oh, five-figure discount. And he thought he was so funny. And he gave me some licorice. 
And I, I took a piece of licorice and before I put it in my mouth, I thought to myself, is this wrong? Like if, is, if I'm eating this licorice, am I doing something wrong? And I had this really sick feeling. I couldn't figure out what it was at the time, but I actually put the licorice back. Is that I don't, I don't want any licorice. And the reason why was because the way in which he had obtained that licorice was unethical in my mind. It was immoral. Yeah, it wasn't something that you felt comfortable right. with. Right, and if I did eat that licorice, am I not also guilty of that theft? Because right. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now in some way benefiting from his unlawful action. And so I think about that when I think about purchasing things. And I, I can give you some examples of that. So um, one, one of these is, um, and we both observed this when we were traveling through Cambodia, yeah. was this new, and I don't want to get all preached and talk about a whole bunch of things, but I do want to talk about like this idea of fast fashion, Okay. which fast fashion is a, a massive trend right now. Mm-hmm. Um, big corporations like Zara and H&M and The Gap and Joe Fresh right, have, are putting out clothing at a faster rate than maybe we've ever seen in history. Oh, yeah. And the price of clothing is going, going down, which I always find funny because like, when I talk to my grandparents, they talk about going to the movies, how it was 25 cents. Right? Things were cheaper in the old days, but not this thing. Yeah. Right? Clothing is actually cheaper. It is cheaper every day. You can buy a t-shirt for $5, right? You can yeah. buy a dress. Like, I mean, you were online just the other day and you can find dresses for $10 or $5, but they don't really hold the true value of what that dress costs. Right. And so companies like H&M are changing their, they used to have like a fat, their fashion lines would come out by season. Like you had your fall line, your spring line, your summer line, your winter line. It's their clothing is changing almost on a daily basis on the racks. Well, you have to ask questions when you see this. Where are these clothes coming from? How are they being produced so cheaply? And it's really not that hard to follow. And so when we were in Cambodia, we saw many factories. Now, I'm not, I'm not here saying that it's wrong to produce clothing in another country. It's wrong to do things offshore. But there are some serious repercussions to this sort of behavior. So when I go and I buy a new piece of clothing so that I can so that I can show my identity, so that I can be unique, so that I can feel cool, right? There are other people who are affected by that consumption. Right. And so like an example of this is, um, is the Gap. Um, in, in Bangladesh, which is one of the places where Gap produces a lot of their goods, what they'll often do is they will, they will put, out a, they'll put out a contract to, to make a certain amount of clothing, whether they're jeans or sweaters or whatever they are. Maybe we'll say 100,000. And they'll put that contract out and a factory will, will grab this contract up. And if you go online and you read on the Gap's website, they'll write down, they have, they have a moral code, they have an ethical code that they follow, which in, includes things like um, a, they believe that, that we need to adhere to certain labor standards. They don't believe in child labor. They believe in environmental protection. Right. Um, they believe in recycling. Like they have all these ethical things and you read it and you're like, wow, this sounds really good. So the contract that takes that 100,000 pair of jeans often will follow those, those certain regulations according to GAP standards. Okay. But the price that they set is almost unrealistic. 
And so what they will often do is they will subcontract that to another factory that does not abide by those. Uh. So then Gap has deniability. And so, and there's lots of examples of this. If you go online, you start reading some of this stuff, it's, it's outlandish. Um, a, a number of years ago when there was that collapse um, on, I can't remember the name of the building, but that building in, in Bangladesh that killed over a thousand people, that the companies that were, that were doing the business with these had complete deniability. They said, well, these are subcontractors. We didn't know that they were building, they, that they were producing these textiles for us. Right. And so can you as a consumer really say that that's not my fault, right? Gap only produces those clothes at that price because that's what the consumers demanded at. Consumers want to get things as cheaply as possible, so Gap gives it to them. And sometimes, a lot of times, there are lots of um, corners that are cut. And so you think about the children working in sweatshops or the people whose parents or family died in that collapse of uh, the factory in Bangladesh. Well, their identities are affected too. So you get to wear a cool pair of new jeans, right? But somebody else has a, a, this identity that's, that's associated with sweatshops and, and uh, exploitation. Right. And I guess like the concern for someone like me is, okay, great, but I can't afford a $300 dress. Like I can't, even if that's going to be my only dr dress or like one of three that I'm going to own, that's a lot of money for me to spend. So like I have a friend who I'm so excited has agreed to be on this podcast later and she purchases ethically made clothing and is like so careful about making sure she does all of her research and she's, um, has such a beautiful Instagram account that people send her a lot of stuff too. So that helps supplement some of the costs. But for most people, um, just the way our economy is structured because we're used to that. How do you like, is there another alternative there? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not proposing that we don't consume. Um, that's not what I'm proposing. I, I do have four strategies that I believe that we should follow in order to make things more ethical. Okay. And so and I can go through those. So my first strategy is to support is to support corporations or companies that engage in fair trade. Okay. And so there's a difference between free and fair trade. Um, but fair trade, there's a lot of companies that engage in fair trade. And when consumers begin to, to embrace those or to buy those things, they're essentially using their money to vote for more ethical means of consumption. Um, so an example of this is uh, there's a company, Patagonia, right? They make outdoor clothing. Well, if you read some of the stuff online, they have a lot of care and concern about their supply chain and where the things come from. So you're going to pay more money for it for sure, but you're going to get higher quality clothing. Mm -hmm. They have amazing warranty and I'm not trying to like give you a, <laughs> I'm not trying to be a commercial for them. Amazing warranty. And and you know that what you're wearing has been ethically made. Yeah. Is it almost like you want to look for companies that aren't just trying to kind of like make you feel good by saying we do this and this and this, but that they're, that they're actually known for the work that they do and how they influence yeah, it's a part of their other countries? It's, yeah, it's, it's a part of their business model. It's a, we, we see this with environmental things as well. We always see this where we talk about like greenwashing, for example, where companies... Um, 
you know, use a lot of words and uh, buzz, like especially buzzwords around being green and recycling and that sort of thing yeah, to, to make it- you feel like you should buy that product because, but it's all a marketing scheme. But there are certain companies like Patagonia that have been doing this from the get-go. Not, right, they've been, from the get-go, one of the intentions of this company, one of the business models is to produce good quality clothes ethically made. Right. Yeah. Or like there's this um, woman I was just reading about the other day. Her her company is called Eshell Triangle. And she, her whole aim, like before she started the company, before she designed a product, it was how can I help these people in Guatemala? Like right. I love the people in Guatemala. How can I create a business that will serve them? Right. right? And so also how can I make a profit at the same time? Like, right. like you have to understand the companies like Patagonia, they're, they want to make money. Yeah, right? for sure. But how can we make money and do that morally or ethically? At this point, you are probably so filled with new ideas and new insights, and you just need to talk to another person about how it's all going to go down in your life. Visit me on Instagram. I'm Jenny Bowden there as well, and I'm always happy to answer any direct messages. But while you're there, make sure you throw up a screenshot on your stories or something that'll connect your community to this podcast so that you'll always have someone to chat with about an episode that you love. And and another example is uh, I was reading about the other day is and we don't have access to these in Canada is is the Fairphone, and we all know we all know the words planned and perceived obsolescence. Everybody right. talks about this. So planned obsolescence being companies that intentionally create goods to fall apart, right? And it's intended so that you buy more stuff. Like my but, iPhone five battery. Yeah, dies and every we five all seconds. know this. There was a lawsuit about this where. <laughs> Uh, Apple was intentionally creating software that would reduce the strength of your battery, the longevity of the battery. Right. Or the changing of the iOS to slow your your processor. Right. So this is standard stuff. Or the fact that it's really difficult to even get in your iPhone and change things and and whatnot. They want you to get the new phone. Whereas Fairphone, the idea here is that there's interchangeable parts. So you can open it up and to upgrade, you can upgrade some of the the internal hardware. They also follow their supply chain. So we all know one of the main things, or maybe we don't all know, but one of the main things in phones or one of the important ingredients in phones is there are some precious conflict metal, uh, minerals like coltan and gold, tungsten, right? There's a bunch of them. But some of these minerals are only found in incredibly conflicted areas, areas that are high in conflict like the Congo. Okay. Um, so Democratic Republic of the Congo. Um, we see like the majority of Colton, 80 plus percent of the Colton comes from the Congo Basin. And so how do we know if that, Cong- if, if that Colton was, was mined ethically? Um, were there child laborers? Um, we know that a lot of these mines are, are controlled or, oper- or, controlled or um, manipulated by militias that, use, that have child soldiers. Right? right, and so not good. And and there's there's civil war. There's there's conflict over these, and and the 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 wealth that comes from these mines is supporting um, groups that are inconsistent with what we would value as liberal freedoms. 
totally. in Canada. Yeah, and so not what we and so Fairphone seeks to follow and trace where their goods are coming from, even as small as the production of Colton that yeah. goes into the phone. And it's so, a great feeling too, like to have a product. Um, for example, I bought that Phil and Ted stroller that was maybe like, I don't know, 10 years old when I bought it. And I just use that thing every single day. And the great thing about that company is that every single part in that stroller is available online to order super easily. So, right, so it's if anything, yeah, and it's super sure. sturdy to begin with, but if anything does go, they have the part on hand. So that stroller will basically last forever if you want it to, which is really, right. um, it's a great feeling to know, like if anything breaks, I can, I can fix it. Right. So why can't I buy one in Canada? Well, there are a number of reasons, but one of them is, is there enough demand? Or are people just completely satisfied with getting the latest and greatest iPhone or Android or whatever it is? Um, the same thing. I called. I I call. I literally called every single grocery store in Lethbridge to look for um, bananas that were produced uh, through fair trade. And and after I'd called every store seeking these fair trade bananas because there's a lot of ethical problems behind ban banana plantations. I found that there weren't any. There was none. There wasn't any for sale in all of Lethbridge. So I started to, to look further and I started to look into other, like are there any Calgary or Edmonton? And they're very difficult to find. I think I found some in Ontario. And I wondered, why don't they sell them in our store? Why can't we support with our money when we buy bananas? Why can't we support support companies that pay fair wages, right? And that, like, I'm, I'm not even saying it's wrong to necessarily bring bananas in from uh, El Salvador, right? Yeah. But what I'm saying is that why can't we support companies that want to treat their employees fairly? They want to treat the environment fairly, that they want to, that they want to make, you know, their business better for our world. Yeah, essentially. And, if, and, and, if, and the reason is, is because nobody buys them. And if grocery store owners thought that we would buy them, they would supply them. Of, of course they would. Right? Because they're, not, because they're in the business of making money too. It all boils down to the consumer. And so if I was, and the thing is, I would be willing to pay more for my bananas. And the cost of fair trade stuff would go down if more people bought into it. And so that's my first point is to support fair trade. The second, the second point is to do your best to support your local economy. Okay. And so if you look around your house and you look around your kitchen, right? How much of the things that you own are produced outside of your municipal area or outside of Canada? And I'm not saying I disagree completely with buying things from overseas or from other from other places. But if that is the bulk of our purchasing, right, then that is a significant drain on the world's um, resources. Right. That we're not having to see. Like we don't have to see the factories that make our jeans or the, I don't know, I'm looking at my steel cups that I have on in our kitchen right now and I love them, but they were in China. Like I have no idea how those were 
produced, right? And so we don't, when we have those things in our own country, we actually have to see what happened to, Well, right? yeah, and, and I agree. I think there's value in seeing where things come from. Like, uh, I think it's, it's really, it's a really interesting uh, activity to take kids or our kids out to one of the local farms in our area and see where do chickens come from or where do eggs come from. I think it helps them understand a little bit and have a, a, a little bit more of an appreciation for uh, what is put on our table and, and the amount of work and effort that goes into it, right? And I'm not saying it doesn't make them Take not them pick. to a farm. I'm not saying it doesn't make them not picky, but I think it's important to know where your things come from. He's talking about taking them to a farm. We have ducks in our very own backyard and we go outside and we collect the eggs. And right now we're just feeding the ducks because they're not laying and it's really annoying. Yeah, and you know what I mean. <laughs> So that's, that's the second thing is, is to buy or try to buy and support your local economy. And um, you think about how far things have to travel for us to consume, like even food. Like think about how far a banana has to travel for you to have that for your breakfast. Right. And especially when we, I get that we live in a, in a place that we can't produce fresh fruits all year round. But in a season when we can, we should be seeking out the farmer's market to buy our local groceries, right? To buy local produce. Mm -hmm. And that supports not only our local economy and helps it be strengthened, but it also, it also helps, um, protect our world's resources, right? It helps, it helps, uh, create a more sustainable form of economy. For us as like, then we're not taking up so much space in other countries. Like, right. And so we, North Americans, we saw this when we were traveling in Vietnam and this was probably one of the most eye opening things for me. And, and I found it really, really tragic to, to witness. So The coffee beans? Yeah. So when, when you go to the central highlands of Vietnam, which are known for their luscious jungle, yeah. right? We, what, we, what we observed there was that even though the government is seeking to regulate the destruction of their rainforest, we see a, a massive amount of slash and burn agriculture, um, uh, disobedience to, to their government's laws in order to remove the jungle and to produce coffee plants. And the majority of those coffee plants, the beans that are coming from those plants, are being sold internationally. Right. Um, I, think, not I think when we were there, like they were saying about 30% stay within the country. They love their coffee there. It's, it's an old French colony. So uh, they love their coffee there. But the thing is... It was, it was outlandish to see how much of their land that they could be subsisting off, that they could produce it, be producing things for their own economy, how much of that is being um, used for the extraction of a bean that really has no, no nutritional value. Yeah, you call that, it a cash crop because right. by very definition, it's, it's a surplus good, I guess, or right. a non-essential good. Right, so it, you don't need you don't need coffee, um, but how much of that? How much of their land is being used for for the consumption of coffee internationally? And you know how many people in Canada go to Tim Hortons every day or Starbucks every day? And those coffee beans aren't grown here. Yeah. They, we're using somebody else's land in, for the production of of this of these goods. Right. And what we saw when we were there is the amount of the, there was a vast amount of people that really could have used that land for their own 
the production of their own goods so that they yeah. can eat. Exactly. Right? Like it wasn't like we didn't see any poverty there, right? So I, I think it's, it is important to support local, local economies. Mm -hmm. um, it's more, I think it's more sustainable. Um, and I think that it's, um, you know, will in, improve uh, the, how do you say this, the efficiency of land use. The third thing um, is to buy or to, ups, to, to buy used or to upcycle goods. Okay. And I really believe um, that we have a lot of goods that are not being utilized to their fullest potential. Totally. And so we consume them, we utilize them, and then we throw them away. Um, and so if somebody else has consumed something, what, what's to say that that item couldn't be useful in my own life? And so when I need to buy something, I often will search on Kijiji or on eBay or I'll go to the thrift store to see if I can find it first. Yeah, and that answers my question about the $300 dress. Um, and it's also really cool when we think about, you know, using things to their fullest extent. I think that mending things has become a lost art too. Like we just, if, if there's a little hole in something, you throw it away or... I, know, I have a pair of pants with like nine <laughs> patches on it right now. <laughs> just keep patching them up. They're still good. I know. And you, if you look at the way I dress, I don't, I don't dress terribly. I feel like I'm pretty up with the latest fashion, but I... Maybe He's so up with my, the latest well, fashion. Well, maybe my students at school wouldn't think that at all. I don't know. But I like. I feel like I have certain clothes that I really like to wear or certain things that I like to wear. But I really... They wouldn't know that you shop at a thrift right, store. Right. It's not like I'm some low-class citizen. I don't do it because I don't have the money to buy. In fact, in some ways, it's probably about the same price to buy um, things from the fast fashion fashion industry. Right? Yeah. But If you're shopping at Valley Village, it sure is. Right. Oh, um, so it, it is interesting that there are so many items to buy that are used. And so why not seek them out used before we have to go and buy something new mm -hmm. and if we could, we can reuse and recycle, right? That's, that's a pretty easy thing that you can to, to get involved in. Right. Yeah, I love it. And then, and then the very, the very last thing, um, that I, that I really, um, you know, I try to do in my life. Yeah, and, and I have only one last one. I know I've taken up lots of time, but the last one that I seek to do in my life is simply just consume less. And it's, there's a lot of things that we feel or may come to feel like we need to have in our lives in order to make us happy somehow. And advertising and marketing does a really good job at making us feel like we're not complete unless we have these things. And it, I think, becomes an addictive habit. It becomes a, it's a behavior, right? right? To feel like if you don't buy these things, you're not happy. And if you don't buy them right now, too. Right. And well, think about how many people are in consumer debt in Canada right now. So many. It's, it's insane. Listen to my podcast on that if you haven't already. Right. And, and so, uh, like, I... I was thinking the other day, I saw this commercial about, um, you know, this new TV uh, from the brick or that they were selling the brick and how, you know, buy in, you know, buy, take home now and don't pay for two years or whatever. And I thought like, do people actually like, do people actually do that? They must. Well, they must do it all the time or else it wouldn't be something that they really push on people because people want to have things now. 
Yeah. Um, because it makes them feel complete. And I, like, I remember I even having, I had the iPhone five at, at the school and everybody around me at the school, all the kids saw it and they would always just make fun of it. Oh, Mr. Brown, cool. Like stone age, uh, phone. And they all have their new phone. Right. And, and they kept making fun of me about this. They're kind of teasing me about it. And finally I was just like, yeah, I actually choose to have this phone because it works perfectly fine. And I don't need to have the new phone in order to feel like I somehow matter. Yeah, two years ago, this phone was great. So. Right. <laughs> and like my, I'm like my esteem, and I'm, I'm not trying to like preach them, but I was telling you, like my esteem, like me feeling, the feeling I have about myself isn't based upon what phone I have. And so when we think about consumption of goods, like we definitely need things, but we don't need them we don't need endless amounts of things to make us happy. We definitely don't have to keep up with the neighbors or the Joneses, as they say. It's, it's really not that hard when you really break it down to consume less. Yeah, and one of the best pieces of advice that I think we both heard early on in our marriage was to really focus and, and know what your values are early on in your life because then you can really know um, what things you do want to purchase and what things you can just get away without not purchasing because that's not going to bring you the happiness that maybe something else would, I guess. So to kind of pick and choose what aligns most with what you value is so, it's such a good way to do that, I think. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And like I was, I was watching, I feel embarrassed for saying this, but I was watching a recap of the Oscars <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, not the yeah the yeah the Oscars the the other night and um, Lady Gaga had on her thirty what is it, thirty million dollar diamond ring oh and uh, you know I thought like does she I thought that was crazy especially coming from Hollywood but so many of these uh, so many Hollywood big names are all about talking about the environment and social issues and. I just felt that that was just outlandish. You have the 30, $30 million ring. You feel like you're important enough, right? That you can have that ring on when that $30 million could do so many things, right? That, that you are that valuable, that you're that important. Or that like, do you really value that ring worth $30 million is the other way to frame that question. Like, and why? Because once right. you start asking yourself why, then you maybe realize, oh, I actually don't value that thing as much as I thought that I did. Right. Well, her consuming that or having that ring is is a means of. Well, I can't speak for Lady Gaga, so I don't want to. But you can't, a, honey. A, a means of like, well, in my mind, maybe that's just because I can't afford a thirty million dollar ring, but like a means of like gaining some personal satisfaction about her life mm -hmm. that a $30 million ring s seems somehow valuable to her. And I, and I just, I, I just don't think that we need to consume that much. Yeah. That and diamonds are a great example of this actually, because of the way, um, this, the whole diamond industry really clamped in on this idea that every woman who got married really needed well, to have a, a diamond. They made it a social norm. Yeah, which is like 
an amazing marketing win. And so to have this as, and it, and it only gets bigger and bigger, right? As, as norms do like, okay, so it used to be normal to have a diamond. Now it's normal to have a really expensive diamond or whatever it is. And it was kind of fun. Like when we got married, we just kind of opted out of that completely. And I, I don't regret it. I don't think you regret it either. Well, because it wasn't something that we valued. Well, I just found like, couldn't I spend that money on something of greater value? And we did. Me? We yeah. bought a house. We bought a house. And, and which I could put a roof over our head and we could start to live in it. We could build a relationship together. I didn't need to buy a ring to somehow say that I love you. And, uh, and. But I, you were stressed about it. I was first. because I, I didn't know. I, that's how I always felt. That's always what I wanted to do. But I hoped that I had married a woman that was in, you know, had some similar ideas to mine. And I think my ideas at that time were still pretty like. They're still forming. Infant. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But you're stressed that if you didn't buy the ring that somehow it would look like you didn't love me, but it turned out okay. It turned out okay in the end. We should probably end now uh, before we take up too much of your time. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.